0: This is Mark chapter 2. It's a familiar story to many of us, but it's in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Jesus again entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. So you might remember Capernaum is a village on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fishing village, about 1,500 people. And Jesus had gone on a rock and roll preaching tour around those villages, and word began to spread that he's back at his home base. So he's at some home, maybe his home, maybe Peter's home. But Mark says they gathered the crowds in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And Jesus preached the word to them, which is Mark's way of saying the good news. Don't we need some good news now, huh? Some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. Verse 5: When Jesus saw their faith, that's crazy. Have you ever thought of faith as something that's visible? And it's interesting that Jesus saw their faith, not the paralyzed man on the stretcher. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. When Jesus saw their faith, then he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Let's pause there. If you keep reading the story that Mark is telling, this is the first of five confrontations from the religious leaders. Jesus is going to do something wild and radical, and then the religious establishment is going to say, "Uh, excuse you, who do you think you are? But then Jesus is going to vindicate whatever he was doing, and it leaves the whole crowd stunned and amazed. But here's the trick. This time, the Jewish leaders are saying, dude, who can forgive sins but God alone? And here's the trick. They're right. Jesus is going around pronouncing and saying, You're forgiven, but only God can do that. That's wild. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. So keep going in verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what this was that they were thinking in their hearts. So then he said to those religious leaders, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So pause there real quick. This whole beef is all about authority. If only God can forgive sins, and Jesus is saying, I'm forgiving this guy's sins, who gave him the authority to do that? That's the whole beef. So what Jesus is doing with his question and his challenge is saying, it's one thing to say your sins are forgiven, but so you know I mean business, I'll take it the extra mile and heal this dude also. That's what Jesus does in verse 11. Jesus says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we can say, thanks be to God. Shout out to those of you who said it, even though you're watching this on a screen. Now, if you're like me, you have been marveling at the last three days how the coronavirus news and cancellations has spread like wildfire, but here's the trick. Wednesday night, it really hit home for us when we were in our neighborhood group and my phone started buzzing with notifications from the NBA. I'm a big NBA nut, I love the Mavericks, I'm doing fantasy basketball and I found out that not one but two of my players on my fantasy basketball team tested positive for the coronavirus. Then I get a notification, they've canceled the whole NBA season. That puts me on alert that this is pretty serious stateside. We know it's been serious worldwide, but now it's pretty wild, stateside. Then we wake up Thursday. What do you guys start seeing? NCAA cancels March Madness. You see Disneyland is closing, and then heaven help us, Disney World is closing, and all of a sudden you just see concerts, events, all of these things starting to shut down out of precaution. Man, then Friday hits, and then you start to hear from Dallas County about gatherings of groups of this number or that number, especially for the vulnerable population, which is when we made our decision to take our public gatherings online. Then you see state of emergency declared, funds released to help the vulnerable, marginal, to get testing, to do all these good things, and it's starting to sink in. Man, this thing is pretty wild. Well, it's interesting that as all of this is spreading, There is this quote that I had come across earlier in this week that was really working on me in my heart and my mind. It's from a woman named Barbara Brown Taylor. I wonder what you think about this. She said, We do not lose control of our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. I'm going to say it again. Barbara Brown Taylor. We do not lose control of our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. I think what she means and what this week has illustrated is just how much of our lives are out of our control. But we can go about our week to week and our day to day and think that we have everything squared away and in control. But it takes something like this to snap our um, attention, to bring us to an awareness that we actually are in control of so much less than we think. But lest you just throw your hands up and are in a place of despair, understand that there are things that we can control. And I think the first thing is a choice right and this is the first of the three things i want to share with you we have a choice to choose faith or to choose fear this is something that is within our control and if you think that that's just a um like happy clappy spiritual like religious thing to say understand that it is an active visible choice to choose to believe that when we are not in control, we know someone who is and who is not surprised when we are surprised, who is not worried when we are worried. And I think that this is the first choice that we have to make, faith or fear. In Mark chapter 2, we have a group of people that choose faith over fear. This week, Amy came and heard a quote that maybe some of you have heard. It's popular in like AA and other kinds of things. And it's an, uh, what is it? An acrostic for fear, right? F E A R. They say that fear is false evidence appearing real. Have you heard this false evidence appearing real? I think if we were to audit how much we're afraid of and how much we worry about, I think most things that we're afraid of never actually materialize. But in that moment, when we begin to choose fear, we begin to spiral out into this place that gives us this lie that actually all the worst things can happen. Now, that's fear, false evidence appearing real. Faith, on the other hand, is this. It's trusting and expecting God's goodness despite our circumstance, okay? Faith is, is trusting and expecting God's goodness despite our circumstance. Now, lest you think that Christianity is just a way of looking at the coronavirus, looking at the toilet paper shortage, looking at all the things out in the world and saying, i just suck it up. It's all going to be good. No, what it is is looking and naming real actual things to be fearful of, looking it straight in the eye, but then choosing to say that doesn't get the last word it's looking at this situation and saying, actually, you don't get the last word. That's the choice that we're left with. These men that have a friend that's on a stretcher, that's paralyzed, have every reason to choose false evidence appearing real. He'll never get helped. He'll never get rescued. He'll never get saved. So in 2020, You can imagine if you start to have a fever or if you start to get a cough, you can take some ibuprofen, you can take some acetaminophen, you can go and see a doctor on your phone, you can go and see them at the hospital, you can go and see a primary care doctor. Even those that are the most vulnerable among us, there are options and abilities to go and get treatment. Now, in Jesus' day, if you're paralyzed and you're on a stretcher, you don't even have Advil to take. So you have every reason to have this false evidence appearing real that your situation is settled and you are done. So when word travels to this dude that Jesus is back from his preaching tour, he had healed a bunch of people, he had said a lot of good news, you're probably thinking, so what? There's nothing that can be done. I can do nothing about it. Then I got to imagine four of his wonderful friends knocks on his door and says, dude, you're coming with us. Meanwhile, as they're picking up their friend on the paralyzed map, you've got Jesus in a one-bedroom home, okay? Whether it's his or Peter's, we don't know, but we can probably guess that it ain't real big and it's a peasant home. Sometimes they'd be freestanding, little block, one room. Other times they'd be like a sort of apartment, where on one story, they would just have um, one little room, another little room, and they all share like a courtyard. But either way, this thing is small, and it is swamped with a huge crowd. This is really interesting, because one of my biggest pet peeves is when we go to rock and roll concerts at a little club, and you've been there, if you've been standing in the general population, and you got to stand there and get your spot And heaven help you if you got to go to the bathroom or go get a drink or do something because if you go you know that somebody's taking your spot and that frustrates me to no end because I'm here in my spot because I want to get a look and I think that this is really remarkable because in all of this jockeying for position trying to see Jesus, when Jesus had every reason to take a nap and to chill, he's still giving himself away to this crowd that is pressing in upon him with all of these needs. And so what's remarkable is, now our buddies have picked up their friend that's paralyzed on the stretcher, and they bring them up and they see this throng of people crowding in the door, crowding in the courtyard. There's no way they can get in, there's no way that people can get out. But here's the thing that you don't know, that I didn't know, about these old little houses with one room. There's always a ladder. So, I wish that Mark had given us a few more verses About the comedy it would have been to try to get a dude on a stretcher up a small ladder leaned up against an adobe house to try and get this dude up on the roof that would have been wild you just imagine them trying with faith and desperation to get him up on the roof when they get him up on the roof it's a flat surface And You don't need a jackhammer. You don't need a huge drill or a just sledgehammer kind of thing because you'd have these wooden beams and in between the beams they would stuff it with earth and mud and then they'd have a thatched roof on top of it. So all they needed was some elbow grease and these. So here's what we're up to. They're up there. They're trying their crazy idea. They've chosen faith To trust and expect that if they can get him into the presence of Jesus, this desperate situation, all of his brokenness might just be made whole. So they start to dig and dig and dig. All right? Here's the trick. I want you to remember this. This is our second thing. Okay? The first was to choose faith over fear. Now I want you to do something. Okay? I'm going to use Mark's word for it. When Mark describes their digging, he uses a word that could be translated like this. These friends unroofed the roof. I love that. They're starting to dig and Mark says, uh, they were just unroofing the roof. They were dismantling that thing that separated their desperate need and the presence of Jesus. So here's the thing that we need to do. Here's the thing our neighborhood, our world is desperate for God's people to do unroof the roof, unroof what's separating our desperate need and the presence of Christ so that we might claw at heaven and dismantle that thing that separates us so that God's life and presence and love can invade and transform our brokenness. How do we do this? The easiest way to do it is in prayer. You can do that at home. You can bring your friends on the stretcher of their life, and you can dig and claw and just take a breath and be present to God's presence. And try to still your heart and your mind to dig through that roof and just to be still and bring these people that are desperate, that are hurting, the food insecure that we know from the rock, that you can see them, that you can bring them to the feet of Jesus. And then maybe with his discernment and grace, we can even become the answer to some of our prayers when we would just sit in Jesus's presence. He gives us this ability, but we've got to unroof the roof. So I want us to choose faith, trusting and expecting God's goodness, despite our circumstances. Okay, we can name the circumstance, but say you don't get the last word. Faith says there's something beyond this. Faith says that Jesus who's sustaining us is going to renew all things, and we can stubbornly believe this, because hope is bigger than despair, and our world needs more and more hope. The second thing we can do is to unroof the roof of what separates our desperate need to Jesus's presence. The third thing is something I want you to know, okay? Here's what I want us to know. Jesus shares his life to bring wholeness in place of our brokenness, okay? Here's what I want us to know, that Jesus is not hoarding the toilet paper of God's heaven, okay? Jesus is not hoarding the paper towels or even the shopping carts. Y'all, when we went to the store the other day to buy some things for church, we were gonna buy some individual snacks. Do you realize that we couldn't even get a shopping cart? But it was so wonderful to see those kingdom people that shared those carts with us. Jesus would share his cart with us, okay? Jesus shares his life. To a broken world so that his wholeness can invade and transform our brokenness. So back to our story. They're unroofing the roof. Jesus is sitting there, right? He's sitting there. He's preaching good news to a people that are desperate. And the dirt starts to fall from the roof. Okay? Jesus probably looks up because if it's his house or Simon's house, he's like, this is going to cost us. These dudes are damaging this property. More than that, they're cutting in line. You've got this whole throng of people that came for healing, that came to hear something, and now they're all silent saying, are you for real? Are these dudes for real right now? Are you, are you serious? And they're wondering, what's Jesus going to do next? Okay, And I love this as they're unroofing the roof. Jesus has got to have stopped by this point, he's got to have looked up, and the whole crowd is leaning forward saying, yo, Jesus is going to get it now, oh man, he is going to put them in their place, they've cut in line, they're stealing all the toilet paper, ooh, he's going to tell them what's what, but here's what I think happened, I think Jesus is thrilled, I think a smile starts to emerge across his face, and he does not rebuke them, he is responsive to them. So let me just pause from our story, and I want to give you something I heard this week from Rick Warren. Y'all have heard that name, Rick Warren. He wrote that huge book, The Purpose Driven Life. Okay, He has a church in Southern California, and I heard this, and I love this. Okay, The first bit just says this. The best thing you can give to someone is your attention. Okay, Now, other people have said that, but Rick Warren takes that, to the next level, okay? The best thing you can give someone right now is your attention. Rick Warren says, because your attention is your time, and your time is your life. You think about that? Our life is the sum total of the time that we have spent living and breathing on this earth. So to give someone your attention, is to give them your time which is that most precious resource that is what makes up your life now you all are at home you all will probably be at home more than you're not at home this week chances are most of you share your home with your roommate with your spouse with your kids what would it look like in this time spending time at home To make a conscious effort not to go crazy, but to give these people in your periphery that you love your attention, which is your time, which is your life. What a gift to your spouse to listen with the phone down. What a gift to your children to play and engage and reconnect and listen, to give them your undivided attention. Because they ain't going to school this week. But you can give them your attention, which is your time, which is your life. I need you to understand that Jesus is attentive to you. He wants us to be attentive back. These people are unroofing the roof. And instead of rebuking them, Jesus responds to them and gives them his life. So they unroof the roof. And they mission impossible this dude down from the stretcher. And Jesus says something that is really surprising, right? He says, cheer up, your sins are forgiven. Which if I'm the four guys that drug this dude up the ladder to the roof, I want to be like, wait a minute. Like, okay, that's kind of cool. I'll, you know, get my sins forgiven. But dude, this guy is paralyzed. Like we came here for a healing. The forgiveness, that's great, but I can't see that right? They came for healing. I love what this guy says. His name is Donald Jewel. He says, there is something mysteriously evil about illness that links it to the power of sin. The coming of the kingdom spells the end of both. Can I say that again? There's something mysteriously evil about illness that links it to the power of sin. The coming of the kingdom spells the end of both. What Jesus is doing in sharing his life, this is what I want you to know, is that he is trading our brokenness with his wholeness. And it's a wholeness that is within In all the broken places, in our fears, our inadequacies, the ways that we miss the mark, the ways that we distrust God's goodness, he's bringing wholeness through forgiveness. And there's something about the outward manifestation of illness that reminds us that this is not how God intended it. I need you to know that the coronavirus or cancer or the common cold is not God's ideal. Which is why we see Jesus bringing the kingdom of God to push back the forces and work of darkness so that he can today show us what it will be like tomorrow. He is in the business of bringing wholeness in place of our brokenness. So to say forgiveness is to bring us wholeness within, but then just so they'll know that he ain't just saying it, he's proving that he has this kind of authority, he's going to heal him as well. Now, earlier I told you that the religious elite were really bent out of shape because only God can forgive sins. And here's what I need you to know. It's true. Nowhere, In our Old Testament, nowhere, not nowhere, not nowhere in the Old Testament, in the Jewish scriptures, in Jewish writing, rabbinical teaching, nowhere, not nowhere, not nowhere was it said that a man, a human can forgive sins. Okay, some of you guys are thinking, well, what about the priest? What about the temple? Good point. The priest would take a repentant person, show them the rituals, show them the sacrifices, and then say... God has forgiven you. They pronounce the forgiveness that comes from God. So when Jesus says, hey dude, your sins are forgiven, they have every right to freak out because not even the Messiah or the Son of Man, which was Jesus's favorite title that he took from Daniel chapter seven, one who's like a representative of God, not even the Messiah or Son of Man were ones that could say, I forgive you. They can only say, God has forgiven you. But Jesus wants to show them that he is taking the law and he is taking all of that ritual, all of that um, sacrifice and says, you don't have to come to the temple. You can now come to me. This is remarkable. You don't have to go and get a goat and sacrifice it or the doves or any of the grain offerings for your forgiveness. You come to Jesus, and he restores your brokenness for that kind of wholeness. But so they know he means business. He does say, just so you know, it's not just empty words. I'll prove it to you when he healed him on the outside as well. Now, I want to tell you a story, and then we're going to wind down our little virtual talk. Okay? This is a story that was shared from a man That's a part of our church network. We're a part of a church network called Ecclesia. It's a relational network of missional churches from all over America. And we had our national gathering. And this is a story he shared with the whole group. And I need you to know that he came from a tradition that really didn't walk in the full range of gifts of the Holy Spirit. We call those charismatic churches. The kinds of people that would have healing services and deliverance services. But he and his wife um, were in this season where they wanted to be more and more open to this kind of stream of our Christian faith. So they went to a Pentecostal. That's another denomination that's charismatic. They went to a Pentecostal healing service. Okay, So whatever you're imagining of like people getting slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues and they're laying on hands, all of that. Okay, all of that is happening. And this is all new for this guy. So, at the end of this service, the pastor who is leading this conference was inviting people to come down to the front for healing, for deliverance, for the whole shebang, right? So, this guy and his teenage son are looking at each other like, let's go, let's go do it. This is new, let's see what's up. They go down to the front, and as they're there, the pastor starts to say, someone in this room is getting healed from arthritis. Someone in this room is getting healed from high blood pressure. Someone in this room is getting healed of cancer. Someone in this room, and on and on he's going. Then he says, someone in this room is getting healed from scoliosis. And the guy telling our whole church network this story says, you know, super spiritual me is standing there just kind of taking this all in and as he says someone's getting healed of scoliosis, he said, I thought, hmm, that's weird. I have scoliosis. Now, He goes about his day, finishes out this conference. He and his son go back to join the family. They drive home. They're processing what they've experienced. They get to where they're staying. He's getting ready for bed, and he's standing in front of the mirror, brushing his teeth. He's got his shirt off because he's about to hop into bed, and he said he drops the toothbrush. He drops his jaw, however you want to put it. He is looking in the mirror, and he calls his wife over. And he says, come look. He had spent decades of his life looking at himself in the mirror and finding one hip is raised and finding this shoulder was this way. The other was that way, because for decades, his spine had been curved like this. He talked about how he was a kid and he would walk around with um a bottle of Advil and take 10 to 12 aspirin a day because of the pain. It was so great. But that night after that service and being in the presence of God, he's looking at himself in the mirror and that spine that for decades had looked like this all of a sudden looked like that. And he talked about how he was surprised by the transforming power of God, even when he didn't ask for it, even when he didn't go through all the magic rituals, even when he wasn't himself unroofing the roof of heaven. I think this guy in 2020 and 2019 telling this story has something very much in common with the man in the first century on a stretcher in a desperate situation. Just like this man It wasn't the magic ritual. It wasn't just trying to say all the perfectly right things. What mattered was getting into the transforming presence of Jesus. So I want you to choose faith over fear. I want us to do something, and that is together, online, I want us together in our own homes, to unroof the roof, to get our desperate situation into the transforming presence of Jesus. And I want you to know and know and know that Jesus is not hoarding his life and healing. He's longing to share it with you in the world. And he will transform your brokenness within and without into wholeness. So when he says to that man on the stretcher to get up, Mark knows what he's doing because the word he uses for get up is the same word he uses in Mark chapter 16 at the end of the story when he talks about Jesus getting up out of the grave and walking into the new life. The life of heaven is still invading earth. The life of Jesus is still being shared. There is much our world is afraid of now, and rightly so, but Jesus is stronger. He is still healing. He still has authority to forgive and bring his light because the darkness will never overcome it. So I want to close with the words of N.T. Wright. He says, Once you've met the living, forgiving God in Jesus, you'll find yourself on your feet going out into the world in the power of God's love. So may you get up, may you get into the presence of the living and forgiving God revealed in the face of Jesus, and may you get out into the world or your living room or your bedroom and live in the love of God and walk in His light, for the darkness will never overcome it. So be blessed. Keep texting, keep calling each other. Let's do our video chat with our group page. Let's see what's up this week as we pray together and connect with one another. But please choose faith over fear unroof that roof and know that Jesus is sharing his life with us even now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I will see you guys soon and talk with you guys this week. Love y'all.